Good morning. I know some of you heard the talk last month on the Saturday before it snowed. So I want to let you know I've changed four words. <laughs> Correctly identify any one of the four and you get double karmic bonus points. <laughs> this is the third Dharma talk I have given and it's the second time that it has snowed. I don't know what lesson to infer from that. Perseverance is a gift. It's time to schedule something in July. I'm not sure. Like most of you sitting here today, the core of my practice is attending the Saturday and Sunday morning services. Our time here sitting in meditation is the first part of the threefold path of Wan Buddhism, cultivating the spirit. According to the doctrinal books of Wan Buddhism, which we more familiarly call the Big Red Book. To cultivate the spirit means to seek a mind that is, quote, clear and round, calm and tranquil, and free from a tendency toward discrimination and a penchant toward attachment. Perhaps in the spirit of the new year, you are resolving to deepen your participation in our community. This is a great time to create new habits to move you closer to your true self. Our temple offers many programs that not only improve our meditation, but also can move you along the other two parts of the threefold path. We just chanted these a few minutes ago. The second part is inquiry into human affairs and universal principles. Human affairs means, and I'm quoting again from the book, the right and wrong benefit and harm among human beings. Universal principles means the great and small being and non-being of heavenly creation. So we're inquiring into the right and wrong actions of people and the principles that carry across the universe. In other words, these are the kind of big meaty topics. You may have spent some time uh, long, long ago uh, talking about late at night in college. A more structured and possibly more sober way to inquire about these questions now is through our Dharma study programs. Today I'm going to talk about three ways the Thursday night study group has deepened my own ability to inquire into human affairs and universal principles. We gather around a table in the residence next door. We read the big red book slowly, one numbered passage at a time. Some weeks we read only one or two passages in our hour together. Some weeks we read more. Here's a passage we talked about a few weeks ago. On page 277, our founding master Sote San says, a person who performs unwholesome deeds might think to themselves that no one will know that they quietly decided to do in their own mind. However, once they've settled on that decision in their mind, they will soon act on that decision. And once that decision is acted upon, the world will soon come to know of it. This is why one feels ashamed, even if the result of that transgression occurs in secret. Therefore, when you're trying to discover a matter that someone has done in secret, you need only observe the result that becomes manifest. But people try in vain to learn other people's secrets in advance. This is the heart of our study. 
and reading these kinds of passages with the group provides the first big impact on me. Having a chance to grapple with the Dharma itself, the body of Buddhist teachings stretching from the words of the historic Buddha to those of our founding master Sotasan and the other Wan Buddhist leaders who have come after him. Sometimes the challenge comes from the formality and density of the language. Every week some of us bring our phones to class because there are often words we need to look up. Words like turbid and tutelary, numinosity and trichiliocosm. <laughs> the teachings are translated from Korean, of course, and so we'll often ask our Kyomenim leaders, Reverend Ginger and Reverend April, to look at their Korean copies of the texts and ask how they might translate the words differently. But beyond the hard words and long sentences are the deeper concepts we grapple with. I chose to share this passage today because it highlights one of the hardest concepts for us Westerners to understand, karma. In Wan Buddhism, this means that all actions in the universe create reactions that are contained within its vastness. Or as we like to say in America, what goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens outside the boundaries of the universe or what we refer to as heaven and earth. When the wind blows seeds from the flowers and trees onto the soil, and then there are sunny days and rainy days, life blooms. Or on a personal scale, if we eat too many of our wife's wonderful chocolate chip cookies, we gain weight. And if we meditate regularly, we feel our minds settle. But other outcomes are harder to understand. We see bad things happen to good people and we wonder what role karma plays. One week, a member of our study group talked about a friend of hers whose husband had lost the ability to speak. Was this a karmic response to something he had said? A strict understanding of karma would suggest yes, but today we know that not all health problems are due to actions of the person. Sure, if you smoke cigarettes, you can develop lung cancer, but some people develop it without smoking. Other people smoke for decades and don't see their health suffer. We could confidently tell our Dharma study sister that there were sound scientific explanations for the man's loss of speech and that it was not because of something he'd said. But in between this clear example and the idea of all actions being held within the universe, there are many situations we face where it's less clear what role karma has played. If I can't find my keys one morning, is it a penalty for my in inattention or does the delay keep me from being in an accident? Or maybe it gives me some moment to pause and value the, uh, the, the importance of staying present in the moment. If I hurt my leg and I can't play tennis for a week, is it punishment for not stretching before I play or an opportunity to reflect on how much I love the sport? Could the time off the court allow me to fall in love with a good book? It's more common for our discussions about universal principles like karma to end with questions than with answers. But these thoughtful and sincere discussions make scripture study very valuable to my practice. A second impact of Dharma study for me is how it has deepened my appreciation for one of Buddhism's three pillars, Sangha, or community. By discussing the text with other members of our temple, sharing our reactions about what we're reading, and relating them to our own life experiences, we get to know one another better. And our experiences, or our human affairs, shape how we approach the texts 
If we are a scientist, we may be on a quest for reasoning and evidence. If we are a writer, we look for words carefully chosen and omitted. If we're a software engineer, we seek logic and reasoning. If we are a musician, we listen for the lyricism in the writing. All of us are looking for wisdom and for impact, for guidance and for inspiration. I find glimpses of these things just as often from the people at the table as from the texts themselves. We bring ourselves to the teachings and that is what keeps them fresh and relevant across the centuries. One of Sote-san's most important tenets was that Wan Buddhism was not for retreat centers and mountain fortresses, but for the streets, for the common person. His first disciples did highly practical things like starting a savings association and filling in an estuary so they could grow crops. So it is for us, taking the Dharma and bringing it to our own experiences, hopefully making us better practitioners and people. Or to put it in one Buddhist terms, as we blend meditation, cultivating the spirit, with scripture study, inquiry into human affairs and universal principles. We impact the third part of the threefold path, mindful choice in action. Because we do this together on Thursday nights, we feel like a community within our larger Sangha. I can't attend every week, but every time I do, I am welcomed and I am grateful to be there. When I go home and my wife Vicky asks me, how was Dharma study? I always say, I'm glad I went. The final way that Dharma study has impacted my spiritual life is the sense of healing it has provided me. When I came to this temple just over four years ago, it was in part because I was leaving a Christian church that was in the midst of being overwhelmed by a set of problems, and those problems left me feeling spiritually empty. My first few visits here were at 6.30 in the morning for an hour of silent meditation and some chanting. And I found the quiet and the ritual very soothing compared to the chaos I was leaving behind. From those early mornings grew the roots of my Buddhist practice, which had led me to taking a Dharma name, making a pilgrimage to Korea, and participating in activities like scripture study. Over time, I have healed, and in that healing, I have found myself recalling lessons from the earlier parts of my spiritual training. Both my youth in the Catholic Church and my years with Vicki raising our children in the United Methodist Church. These were places and times in my life that had shaped me. And when I first came here, I was trying to ignore them or think of them as flawed or incomplete or insufficient. But they are all part of my path. And during many of our Dharma study sessions, I'm reminded that there are themes common to both traditions. That passage about karma reminded me of the story in the Gospel of John where Jesus and his disciples encounter a man blind from birth. And the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? They viewed his blindness as the karmic consequence of sinful behavior. They just weren't sure whose. <clears throat> Jesus' response, by the way, is that neither the man nor his parents had sinned. 
enough of these kinds of reminders kept coming up in Dharma study that I realized the extent to which I had put aside all that knowledge when I came here, and that was both foolish and futile. I now have a sense of wholeness about my spiritual path, that it is one continuous journey, and I thank Dharma study in part for helping me see this. Coming to the temple has given my spiritual life a sense of balance and depth it did not have when I arrived here. Dharma study has helped me rejuvenate my spiritual life. I came for the silence, but I stayed for the conversation. <laughs> that is the power of returning to this book every week, to know that we do not grope along in the dark by ourselves. Instead, we have spiritual ancestors who light the way for us. This study reminds me every week that I don't have to do this practice by myself. Instead, I go to that table next door and I grow with and from the others seated there with me. January is named for Janus, the Ro Roman god of beginnings and endings, doorways and passageways. The appeal of our letting go ceremony and the idea of making resolutions is due in part to the sense of both looking forward and backward that comes this time of year. This is one way I think about the nature of insight. Something in our understanding of the past crystallizes into new wisdom and it changes what we aspire to do in the future. These insights can happen at any time, not just at New Year's. I've had a few of these kinds of moments of insight in Dharma study. If you too would like to inquire more deeply about human affairs and universal principles, then I invite you to join us. You can come this Thursday night, any Thursday night, or come to the group that meets at 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings too. I cannot promise you answers or a lot of certainty, but I can assure you there'll be plenty of questions and camaraderie and deep thinking. And I hope that like me, you'll be glad you came. Thank you.